One of the slight disadvantages of this show is that I have so many different tidbits of information rattling around, but not all of them work quite as well on their own as one standalone episode. As a result, on occasion, I'll release a sort of compilation episode containing some of my favorite little stories and information on this topic, all in a kind of greatest hits format. The topic of this show is near and dear to my heart, and I hope you enjoy it too. Those of you who have followed the show on social media, have talked to me for any significant length of time, or just seen the sheer amount of dog hair covering everything I own, know that I am an emphatic dog lover. They're kind, adorable, loyal, full of energy. They're just kind of the best. Don't worry, Gurren Loki. Cats are pretty great, too. In this episode, I'll tell you about an Italian lifeguarding academy with a fully canine student body, the dog who has been elected as mayor of Cormorant, Minnesota on three separate occasions, as well as a couple of other stories that you'll have to listen to to find out yourself. I'm Braden Thorvaldson, and this is What? Explain. Imagine, if you will, that you're on a summer vacation in Italy. You're full of pasta, the sun is shining, and you finally decided to take in some sun on one of their many beaches. Despite the sheer number of tourists, you've managed to stake out some prime real estate to put down your towel and start your suntanning. This is finally the year that you don't end up ghostly white at the end of August, you reflect with a smile as you start to drift off to sleep. Suddenly, you shake yourself awake. You didn't spend all this money to get out here just to sleep. You came here to experience things, dang it. So, you rouse yourself off the towel and look at the beautiful blue ocean. You see a handful of people swimming around and realize that at least it'll be less crowded in the ocean than it is on the beach, so you start to wade in. The water is quite cold at first, but your body adjusts as you move further and further out to the point where standing on the sandy bottom of the ocean is no longer an option. You just let yourself float for a second, hands moving in the water just enough to keep you above, but not enough to feel like you're working at it. This is nice, but you're wanting a little bit more distance from the group of screaming children that seem to have developed near you, so you start swimming a little further out. You have a vague recollection of someone in red yelling at you in Italian on the shore, but you're too far away to make any words out, and the two hours of Duolingo Italian that you completed on the plane over was enough that you could order some delicious pasta, but not enough to be fluent by any means. Suddenly, you feel something clench in your abdomen, right around the small intestine. A blinding flash of pain shoots through you as your admittedly choppy sidestroke is cut off by you gasping in pain and involuntarily curling in on yourself. With that gasp, you end up taking in a bunch of seawater and start attempting to cough to get the water out of your lungs. This starts making the situation worse as coughing while mostly underwater is an excellent way to get more water into the space where air should be. Belatedly, you remember a lecture you heard back in beginner swimming classes about the dangers of swimming too soon after a big meal. You can feel your arms starting to get heavier as blind panic starts to set in. Your last conscious thought before fully immersing yourself in the panic was, It can't be like this. What a stupid way to die. Suddenly, you feel something bumping up beside you as a surprisingly furry object rams into you and starts pulling you upwards. Astonishingly, you break the surface and continue coughing, breathing in the salt air as the cramp in your stomach slowly starts to subside. 
As the blackness starts seeping away from your vision, you notice your rescuer, who you assumed was a very hirsute lifeguard, was in fact a dog. A massive dog, in fact, wearing a bright yellow life vest and continuing to bump you towards the shore. You sigh with relief and grab onto the life vest as the dog pulls you ashore. As you get closer to the beach, you resolve that from now on, your gluttony days and your swimming days on vacation will always remain separate. While this may sound like a pitch script for an unused Airbud movie, this sort of event happens in Italy about 20 to 30 times a year, and it's thanks to the Scuola Italiana Cani Salvataggio, or SICS, that many of these stories have a happy ending. There are over 300 units of one dog and one trainer that patrol 30 of Italy's busiest beaches. These dogs go through rigorous training and only those who have successfully completed the 18 months of basic training move on to the more advanced sections of rescue, including learning how to jump out of helicopters and leap out of speeding boats. These dog lifeguards do have practical advantages, however. The rescue dog teams are renowned for their higher capabilities in large-scale life-or-death scenarios compared to a similar amount of regular human lifeguards. In August of 2021, several families were caught in the ocean with high waves and wind, 330 feet from shore. Three of the canine lifeguards on duty sprinted into the water with their trainers in tow and had pulled everyone to safety within 15 minutes. Many of the lifeguards paired with one of these specially trained dogs are able to conserve their energy and be more efficient in their rescue attempts, rather than having to return people back and forth to shore one person at a time. The dog's stamina, survival instincts, and ability to follow commands are what are credited for their success in the field. Italy is the only country that currently has dog lifeguards, but there are training facilities being set up in the United States, Switzerland, and Germany, so one could say that the program is indeed barking up the right tree. I don't think I'm necessarily stepping out of line to say that political discourse has only gotten more divisive over time. With a few clicks of a mouse on Reddit, Twitter, or Facebook, you too could scream at or be screamed at by total strangers with opposing political views of yours. All of this tends to come to a head whenever there is an election happening at any level of government, but the municipal ones do tend to bring out something particularly special. Their voter turnouts may be historically lower than federal elections, but they do tend to have a larger effect on the day-to-day -day life of the population. One could argue that the election of a mayor can shape what a municipality looks like over the next term, which is why the voters of Cormorant, Minnesota did something remarkably unusual. They elected a mayor that had never previously held office, but was well known in the area. With his dignified air, accentuated with his shock of white hair, and with a nickname of Duke, he was considered by all to be a worthy mayor. He never officially started a campaign, so he was elected by write-in vote. The story was picked up by news outlets, and the town was, for a time, awash with news reporters and photographers wanting to get an interview with the mayor, or even just a bit of his time. However, the new mayor was very busy and could often only be reached during his twice-daily walks in which he greeted many of the townspeople, though not while he was pooping. He also did have a weakness for belly rubs, which did sometimes lead to unfortunate results, where the townspeople saw their mayor-elect lying down right on his back in a pile of smelly leaves. After a grudgingly accepted bath, he was back to normal. 
As you may have gathered, this mayor was a bit unusual in that he was a dog. The initial vote started as a fundraiser at a local festival where you could vote for ceremonial positions for one dollar per vote. Duke's mayoral responsibilities primarily included appearing in parades and acting as an ambassador for the town. His day-to-day -day primarily involved hanging out at a local pub, which, while not a great look for most elected officials, Duke seemed to get by just fine. In fact, he was elected mayor for four terms, including once in 2016 almost unanimously. He retired from the position in 2018, and unfortunately passed away in 2019 at the age of 13. Rest easy, Duke. You were a good boy. Now I bring you a story about a Newfoundland dog in Paris. This dog, unnamed by history, was wandering around the scenic banks of the Seine River when he heard a child crying for help. As it turned out, this child had fallen into the river and was barely keeping their head above water. The dog ran towards the river, searching for the sound of the screaming, and leapt into the water, allowing the child to grab onto its fur and dragged it back to shore, effectively saving the child's life. As the family of the child sprinted over, a little bit late to save said child, they saw the soaking wet dog happily wagging his tail. Profusely thankful, they provided the dog with an enormous beefsteak as a thank you for a deed well done. As the owner of a dog myself, I can imagine the absolute thrill that the dog had as it munched on the beefsteak, enjoying itself in the warm Paris sun. But as with many sources of joy in life, that beefsteak was only temporary, and soon the dog had finished it off. Maybe it just acknowledged that this was the way life was, and it was better to have eaten and lost a beefsteak than to never have had a beefsteak at all. But maybe, just maybe, a rudimentary relationship occurred in its brain. If it rescues a child, it gets a beefsteak. Two days later, another child had ended up falling into the Seine, and again, that same dog was on the scene, jumping into the water to rescue the child. The family was again incredibly grateful, and the dog received yet another beefsteak from what I assume was a very nearby beefsteak vendor. Unfortunately, this was the start of a spate of children falling into the river. People in the area began to worry that there was some sort of maniacal criminal around attempting to push children to a watery grave. But all was not lost. There was one bulwark against the machinations of this diabolical child pusher, the heroic Newfoundland dog who was always ready to dive in and retrieve the wayward children. However, the people in the area learned the horrifying truth soon after. There was no criminal mastermind at work. The culprit responsible for the children falling into the river was the dog itself. Once the dog realized that they got a beefsteak for saving a child, I assume they hatched something of a plan. Whenever they saw a child playing just a little too close to the riverbank, it would run up to them and knock them into the river. Given that a Newfoundland could be over a hundred pounds when fully grown, that kid would have absolutely been sent flying. It would then immediately jump in after the kid and rescue them, earning a beefsteak reward. The story resulted in such a ruckus that it even appeared in the New York Times an ocean away, reporting that the dog pushes children into the Seine to rescue them and win beefsteaks. While this story doesn't mention what did happen to the dog afterwards, 
I can believe that this dog knew what they were doing. After seeing Pippa's reaction to their first little bit of steak, it's not beyond the pale that they desperately try to recreate the incident that got them a whole steak. It's just too tasty to pass up. One of the dogs that seem to be associated with luxury and high-class living is the Poodle. With their curly hair and elaborate hairstyling, they seem destined for a life of luxury and looking down at other people who aren't as neatly coiffed as they are. If you look at any Poodle that has ever been in a dog show, you'll see a haircut that looks a tiny bit unhinged. Almost equal parts completely shaved and aggressively puffy, it looks like a dog that would have no practical place in the world, built only for companionship and aggressive high-class adorability. But what if I told you there was a method to the madness? That there was a specific reason for the poodle's distinct haircut, and it resulted in them being more efficient hunting dogs? Poodles originated in Germany, where they were primarily used for retrieving waterfowl once they were shot by the hunter. They were specifically sought out because they were powerfully athletic and had what would be defined as a soft mouth, meaning that if they brought back a dead duck, it would still be pretty well duck-shaped and not a gnawed-on mess. This duck retrieval often led to the poodle having to be in very cold lake water for long periods of time, and with their curly natural coat, that water stuck to them like it would an adorable sponge. Therefore, it made them a lot colder and weighed them down, tiring them out. Hunters ended up coming to a practical solution. Shave parts of the dog, just enough that it allowed their joints a lot more range of motion, but keep the hair around their chest and legs longer, so that there would be less risk of hypothermia and their core would remain insulated. So, the next time you see a poodle walking down the street in an elaborate haircut, you could be looking at a championship hunting dog and not realize it. However, if their head hair is done up in a ponytail... Perhaps not. Well, I hope you enjoyed these stories about dogs in all their facets. I very much enjoyed researching and writing them, and I'm glad I didn't necessarily have to pick just one to use. Though I now do have two cats circling my office accusingly, so I may need to write a cat one in the future. Ow. Okay, fine, I'll start writing an outline. Ow. Okay, you two can be credited as writers. Ow. Alright, I need to get some polysporin for these scratches, so I'll say goodbye for now. I'll talk to you all in a couple weeks. Theme music and audio mixing for this episode was done by Craig Murdoch and script editing by Sarah Smith, both of whom are a good deal more suspicious of large dogs near steak vendors now. If you want to be up to date on all things podcast related, why not follow us on Instagram at WhatExplainCast and on our Facebook page as WhatExplainPodcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have some time, please rate and review us. We do have a shiny new Patreon that has just launched, and if you're wanting to support the show financially, this is an amazing way to do so. Go to www.patreon.com slash whatexplain to look at the many tiers of support and what exactly it gets you. Word of mouth remains an excellent way to tell people about the show, so if you have a friend, family member, or four-legged friend that can work their owner's phone that would like the show, please let them know. Thanks very much, and I'll talk to you all later. <laughs>